Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians this summer at the chapel. The title of the message is The Preaching of Good News, but I want to ask you a question that I heard asked from a preacher a number of years ago, and this is the question, how good is your good news? How good is your good news? I know you've seen people in church that you look at and you think, their news doesn't look real good. I grew up in a church thinking the more miserable you looked, the more spiritual you were. You ever done that? You kind of looked down the road and thought, man, they must really know God. They look miserable. Well, let me tell you something. That's not an indication that they know God. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So it may just be they had some bad pizza the night before. Or maybe they're just miserable. I know this doesn't happen in your church, but a lot of churches are full of miserable people. And their job in life is to make you miserable. So be careful (laughs) judging people and their good news. I thought a lot about that this last week. How good is my good news? We got some bad news. Uh, A little over a week ago, my mom, she's 96 years old, had a heart attack. She had been in failing health for a number of years. My father passed away a little over 10 years ago, and so she was lonely at times and complained of different ailments, was losing her hearing, her sight. She wouldn't ever wear a hearing aid. I remember one time my dad had to go to physical therapy. She said, well, he needs speech therapy. I can't understand a word he says. And we said, Mom, we don't think it's him that's the problem. We think you need a hearing aid. No, that's for old people. Well, you're 96 years old. I got to spend last Monday and Tuesday with my mom and then got a phone call on Friday that she passed away. And it's at moments like that that you ask the question, how good's your good news? People don't know what to say to you when you've experienced that kind of loss. I, I've been there. You, you don't know what to say. Sometimes just not saying anything's okay. Just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Because the question is, how good's your good news? And you wonder, okay, Robert, how do, you, how do you deal with the loss of a parent? Well, my mom was 96 years old. She couldn't hear well. She couldn't see well. She couldn't get around anymore. She's not suffering from any of those maladies today. On Friday, about 6 o'clock in the morning, she went into the presence of the Lord. And so that's not bad news. If we really believe the gospel, and we really believe the person that we've lost knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior, We're sad. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but the good news is still good news. And what is the good news? Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that I don't have to die the kind of death that separates me from God. Chances are I'm going to die someday. But in the next moment, I'm going to be in the presence of God. I believe that with all my heart. So that's good news. So what I share with you this morning is good news. I also share that just to give you a heads up, when the service is over, you're not going to see me. I'm going to disappear. I'm going to call on one of our trustees to close us in prayer because I've got to be in Macon, Georgia by 530. Do the math. And just so I'm not scaring some of my trustees that are thinking, did he ask me to pray? Uh, Daryl Rogers is going to come and close our service out in prayer, so Daryl, thank you for doing that. But I share all that as well to say, folks, The news is still good. Regardless of what happens in your life, 
the news of Jesus Christ is still good. Now, here's the problem. The Apostle Paul, writing this letter to the Corinthians, is battling against these false teachers. And the two biggest heresies in the first century were, number one, there were some people called Judaizers. Let me just explain real quickly. When you read a lot of the letters that Paul wrote, he's dealing with this group of people. Some of them had come to faith in Christ, but they were telling all the other people, well, if you're not a Jew first, then you can't really be a Christian. So you've got to go through all the hoops of becoming a Jew, which meant that meant you've got to be circumcised. Think about that. You've got to do all these other things. So Judaizers were what some of the false teachers were. Others were called Gnostics, and those were these people that thought it was all this secret knowledge that they they knew more than you did they had been enlightened but nobody had been enlightened like i've been enlightened and so they were kind of holier than thou better than you and it's partly that but also paul's writing to a group of people who were profiting off the gospel in corinth and the biggest stumbling block to them was paul and so they were trying to run paul down isn't it amazing some people can't elevate themselves any other way than to try to i can't get above this level so i'll just try to pull you down below me that makes me look better that's what the false teachers were doing with the apostle paul paul had spent 18 months in corinth these people should have known better but now that he's gone this group has come in and they're telling lies about him so we're just going to look at six verses this morning but i want you to keep that in mind as you think about what why is paul writing what he's writing let me just read the first two verses and we'll kind of do two verses at a time for three points this morning Therefore, since we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So my first point is simply this. The good news is uncorrupted. Now keep in mind, a lot of people trying to corrupt the good news. Paul's already called them peddlers of the Word of God, hucksters, salesmen. Paul says the gospel is uncorrupted. He said, listen, we have this ministry because we've received mercy. In fact, he uses the word therefore. And you know about the word therefore. You need to find out what it's there for. He's just talked about the fact that the veil has come off and we're able to see God in his glory. And one day we get to see him face to face. Right now, Previous chapter talked about we're kind of seeing in a mirror, and mirrors back in that day were made out of metal. They didn't give the same image that a glass mirror would give, but it gave an image. And he's saying we are catching a glimpse of the glory of God. And because we have that kind of ministry, we, we don't lose heart. In fact, I loved what Jessica sang the second song about take away the wound, but leave the scar because it reminds me of your mercy. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we've received mercy. Now, I want you to think about Paul for a minute. When Paul says, I've received mercy, well, what was he talking about? Well, who had Paul been? Paul had been Saul. Saul used to persecute Christians. Here's my favorite definition of the word mercy. Not receiving what you deserve. If you've been persecuting Christians, in fact, at one time he was at least in hearty agreement with putting someone to death, the apostle Stephen, to death. We don't know that he actually threw one of the stones. We don't know he actually killed somebody. But what he would do is chase you out of town, drag you back, and sometimes you'd be put in prison, sometimes put to death. And so when Paul faced God, he's not going to say, give me justice. Why? Because we're putting you under the jail. What does Paul get? 
Mercy. Paul realized, I've received mercy. And folks, if you're a child of God, you've received mercy. But I think Paul got it better than the rest of us. Paul had this resume as a Jew. Circumcised the eighth day. He was an, uh, you know, a, a member of the order of Levi. All this kind of stuff that Paul, a member of the Sanhedrin. All this kind of stuff that Paul could point to and say, look at my resume. But Paul also said, you know what? I now count all that stuff like trash. It, it's worth nothing. Because I've received mercy. I don't get what I deserve. I've received mercy. Literally, God has withheld judgment that I deserve. In fact, here's something Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.13. Let's take a look just quickly. Paul, Here's how Paul described himself. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So Paul is grateful for his mercy, and he says, we don't lose heart. We don't even lose heart in the fact that there's people around you in Corinth that are running my name down. I don't lose heart because it's not my ministry. It's the ministry God's called me to. Paul's saying, I'm just being faithful to what God's called me to do. So we don't lose heart. Literally give in to fear. He says, we have renounced the things hidden. That literally means to disown the past. Now, keep in mind, the people that Paul is addressing, he's addressing the Corinthian Christians, but he knows that these false teachers are going to hear this same thing too. They haven't renounced their false life or their, their previous life. They're trying to elevate it. They're trying to glorify it. John MacArthur put it this way. He says, A repentance that does not involve turning from sin is foreign to Scripture. That's what repentance means. Paul says, We have repented from the former way. Repent means this. You were heading in one direction, away from God. You turned 180 degrees. Now you're heading back to God. Okay? Not like I hear in youth groups sometimes. Kids say, man, God got a hold of my life. Turn my life around. 360 degrees. You think about that. That means you were walking away from God. Now you're still walking away from God. No, it's 180. It's repentance. It's turning. And so Paul says we don't lose heart. We've renounced those things hidden because of shame. See, Paul didn't have to be ashamed anymore. You know why? Because he was a brand new creature. Later in this letter to to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I want to stop there a minute. Think about that. If you're a child of God, no matter what happened in your past, The day you came to Christ, those things became the old things that have passed away. Now, you know what the enemy does? Here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to constantly remind you of that stuff. I love the old T-shirt. It said, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. (laughs) That stuff's in the past. Here's the way God looks at you. You're a brand new creation. And so that's how Paul could say, we've renounced that stuff We're not walking in craftiness, literally trickery. That's how Satan is. He's the same Satan that was in the garden who came up and deceived Eve, right? Convinced her that God wasn't good, basically. God's holding out on you. The reason God said you can't eat of that tree is he knows that in the day you do, you're going to be just like him. He's not good. He's holding out on you. And he's been doing the same thing to us. Here's how Satan works. Satan will try to get you to do something that to make you think this is going to make you happier. 
They're just it's going to make you more popular at school. It's going to make you better looking. Your girlfriend's going to like you more. Your boyfriend's going to like you more. And as soon as you do it, then what does he do? Then he turns on you. Whoop, shouldn't have done that. God's mad. Got a big stick fixing to hit you. That's called shame. Paul says, we don't walk in those ways anymore. We're not walking in the craftiness of the devil, adulterating the word of God, literally corrupting or falsifying. Here's what they would do in the New Testament times to gold and wine. They would add ingredients to it to make it look like it had more volume, but they were corrupting the purity of the gold or the purity of the wine by adding things they shouldn't be adding. So Paul says, we're not adding anything to the word of God. We're not corrupting the word of God. See, the first, the first century teachers, he called them peddlers of the Word of God, the first century false teachers, they were marketing experts. Here's what they did. They figured out what the consumer wanted, and they changed the product to meet the desires and the whims of the consumer. Here's the scary thing. That's going on today. There's some that preach the Word of God today that what they do are they're hucksters. Instead of preaching the true Word of God, they're changing the Word of God to meet the desires of the audience they're preaching to. And so you can't always tell the success of a ministry anymore by the size of the crowd. What did the Bible say? Jesus said in the last time, men are going to be lovers of self. They're going to be able to get a crowd around them, and they'll find preachers that will tickle their ear, tell them what they want to hear. Paul said that's happening in the first century, and they're doing it for money. Paul says we don't adulterate the Word of God, but we manifest the truth. And we only commend ourselves to, to, to men's conscience in the sight of God. Literally, Paul's saying, listen, he says this other places, you don't have to judge my ministry, God's doing it. And at some point, Paul was going to be able to stand in front of God, and God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And folks, translate that into today, the ministry that God's called you to. And yes, if you're a child of God, he's got a ministry for you. And he's the only audience we need to care about because he's watching. Paul says, I'm doing everything in the sight of God. But then he talks about the fact that good news can be obscured. Let me read the next couple of verses. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here's the problem. Underlying much modern evangelism is this notion. That people can and will respond to the gospel if it's presented in an ingenious enough way. That's what the hucksters do. They think, you know what, I can get you to respond to the gospel. I'll just be more ingenious than the next guy. What does that do? That puts more power in the method than it does in the message. In fact, I think that's why a lot of people are afraid to scare, are scared to share their faith. They think, I, just, I don't know if I'm ingenious enough to talk that person into trusting Christ. That's not your job. Your job is not to save anybody. Your job is not to talk somebody into heaven. Your job is simply to be faithful to share what God's done in your life. You, you share the message and let God take care of the results. You know what? You may share the message and somebody doesn't respond, but they may respond later. It, it was just... That was another kind of brick in the wall for them to bring them to Christ. So be faithful. But Paul says if the gospel is veiled, it's because the God of this world has blinded unbelievers' hearts. See, here's what's true about the false teachers. 
They had not done what Paul talked about in the first two verses. They'd not renounced the old ways. They were walking in craftiness. They had corrupted the word of God. And they had concealed the gospel. If the gospel is veiled, folks, one of the ways Satan veils the gospel is through religion. Do you know that? One way that Satan veils, corrupts, obscures the good news is just he don't care if you're religious. Be as religious as you want to. Just don't have a relationship with Jesus. And the scary thing is there's a lot of people in modern-day America that that's kind of where they are spiritually. They're just religious. Now, there's no power in their walk. They really don't spend time with God. They go to church every Sunday and just kind of be religious. You say, well, Robert, what you got against religion? The same thing God does. The word religion and religious occur ten times in Scripture. Nine out of ten times God's condemning it. The only one time I see him applauded is in James when he says pure and undefiled religion is this. If the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, literally those who will be destroyed fully. Does that word sound familiar? Anybody know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish. It means to be utterly destroyed, would not perish but have everlasting life. So Paul says if it's veiled, it's veiled to those people who are far from God and they like being far from God. He said it's veiled to those who are perishing. Many will hear the gospel and remain unbelievers. In whose case the God of this world. The interesting the word he uses there is really the God of this age. He's basically saying, you know what, Satan has some power right now in this age. First century, this century, for centuries Satan's had a little bit of power. He was defeated at the cross. The fangs and claws have been removed, but he's still got a loud bark and a loud roar. And he's still deceiving people. He's still leading people astray. Now, we've read the end of the book. One day he will be cast into a lake of fire that burns forever, be cast into the pit. In heaven, we're not going to have to worry about Satan. He's not going to have any influence, rule, power, anything there. But on this earth, he still has some influence in people's lives. And the greatest thing he tries to do is obscure the gospel for you. Just keep you distracted, keep you busy, or keep you religious so that you really don't come to know Jesus Christ. In those cases, the God of this world has has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The reason people reject the gospel is they love the darkness. We just quoted John 3.16. A few verses later, John 3.19 says, This is the judgment that men, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than their light. The light for their deeds were evil. Satan's tried to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. Folks, as you share the gospel with people, the person you need to lift up is not yourself. It's Christ. The more we lift up Jesus Christ for people to see him in all of his radiant glory, that's what people respond to that changes their lives. In fact, he says, to the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Jesus said this in John 
12, he said, He who has seen me has seen the one who sent me. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the exact representation of God. And then last, the good news can be obscured, but I love the fact that good news shines out of the darkness. Last two verses. Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves. I love that line. What's he saying? He's talking about these wicked false teachers who that's exactly what they're preaching. They're preaching themselves. But Paul says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We don't preach ourselves. Later in this book, 2 Corinthians, we're going to get to eventually chapter 10, verse 12. Let me share that verse with you. I have it. I think it will be on the screen. Think about this. Paul says, For we are not to hold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. So if you become the standard that you're holding up, then you're okay. But in the light of the gospel, you're not the standard. Who is Jesus? So Paul says, we're not preaching ourselves. In fact, if we preach anything about ourselves, we're a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We're a willing slave of the Lord Jesus Christ who is supreme in authority. We're not trying to be hucksters. We're not trying to get rich off of you. We're trying to serve you is what Paul says. And then that last verse, the same God who said, let the light shine out of darkness is the one who's shown in our hearts. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. I thought about that this week. Who was he talking to? I think he was talking to the darkness. I think here's what God said. Darkness, stop being dark. And the light shone out of it. Anybody, don't raise your hand. Anybody here afraid of the dark? Some of you. More of you because I said don't raise your hand, but some of you didn't raise your hand. I grew up kind of afraid of the dark. One of the reasons I was afraid of the dark is I have a brother that's about five years older than me, and he used to love hiding in my closet until I was about asleep. And then he would jump out and do stuff to me, scare me to death, that kind of thing. So I kind of grew up, number one, I didn't like sleeping with my closet door shut. I'd always leave the door open. And I really, I had a nightlight. Kind of afraid of the dark. Here's the good news about light. Light puts out the darkness. You can go to Walmart and buy a flashlight. They don't sell flash darks. <laughs> Students, if you're here this week and you're kind of thinking, you know what? I want to go to bed early and some of these people are going to have the light on. I'm getting me a flash dark. <laughs> you know, it, it don't work that way. Because when the light's on, darkness flees. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the same God who spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light, has spoken into your heart, even into a dark heart, and said, let there be light. And the light of the gospel shines in that heart. And as we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are changed forever. See who's doing the action? God is. God is. Same God who spoke 
the light into existence, has sent Jesus Christ to be the light. And the interesting thing about that word is this. There's a lot of words we're called in Scripture, like sheep and other things, salt. The only one I found that we're called the same thing that Jesus was called is Jesus is light. He's the light that's coming to the world. But now we're to be the light to a dark generation. How do we do that? We don't have any light within ourselves. It's only the light of God that shines through us. So this ministry that God's given us the mercy to be called into is this. Just let the light of God shine through your life. And people will ask you, what's different about you? You'll be able to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with people who see something. And folks, the darker this generation gets, the more your light's going to shine. See, light's irrelevant in light. Anybody got a flashlight in their pocket, you can turn your phone on. You know, we don't really need a flashlight in here. But when it gets dark, light becomes real relevant. So students, that means for some of you at the school you go to, maybe even your home, you're going to be a light shining in the darkness, and it's going to be the light of Jesus Christ shining through you. Some of you at work, some of you in your neighborhood, wherever you go as a believer, keep in mind, you're a bearer, as a child of God, you're a bearer of the light of God. Paul put it this way in Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 12 and following, he said, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Folks, that's good news. That's good news. So I'll close by asking the same question. How good is your good news? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've heard the good news. You need to respond to it. So I, I invite you today. Some of our staff will be standing at the back. If you're here with a group, ask one of your group leaders that you trust their walk with Christ. How can I know for sure that I'm a child of God? And if you are a child of God, how good is your good news? If somebody follows you around today, and the rest of this week, will they see Jesus shining through you? Let's pray together. Daryl, come lead us. Stand with me as we pray together. Father, we do give you thanks for the good news that you give us through your Son. And the word that we heard today, Father, is so clear that that good news should be eliminated through our lives. And we're thankful for that. And we, we're thankful, Father, that you can use us. You can even use me and every person in this room that believes and trusts in your holy name as a light that will shine and will reflect your image, the good news. Robert preached about this morning. And Lord, as uh, Robert and his family leave here uh, and head to celebrate their mother's life um, with family and friends, Lord, we pray for their safe travel. We pray for their safe travel there today and their safe travel back 
and that the time that they're there with family and friends, Lord, will be a time that they'll be able to rejoice in knowing, as uh, Robert said earlier, that, that um, that's good news because they know that their mother is going to be eternally with our Lord. So we just give you thanks for that. We love you so much, Lord, and we just, again, thank you for this day in Christ Jesus. Amen. Have a good week.